Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. You probably know Parsha Truma from the line Ve'asuli Mikdash Ve'shachanti Betocham or from the singing of Ve'asuli Mikdash Ve'shachanti Betocham. It doesn't usually go like that, but anyway. So that's um, that comes up in this week's Parsha, and we could have talked about that. It, it, it's a very beautiful line with lots of questions and um, lots of good Torah surrounding it. But Rabbi Shapiro actually chose these verses um, that I am now going to introduce because he's finishing up a Beit Dean and then he'll be joining us. Um, so we are going to look at a few verses that come um, that come after. Sorry, this is usually his job, so now I have to find the verses. Give me a second. Um, that come after that line. And for those of you who don't know what's happening in Parsha Truma, we're basically uh, in the beginning of the, the creation and the architectural design of the Mishkan. So people always say, like, what's the Mishkan versus the Mikdash? Great question. The idea is that a mikdash is more like a sanctuary and the mishkan is the thing that is being built. So within a mishkan can be a mikdash, but not vice versa. It's like rabbi math. Um, so when they say, Ve'asuli mikdash v'shachanti betocham, you're going to make for me a sanctuary and I'm going to dwell within it. So a mikdash can be, you know, the sanctuary at Temple Betham, but the mishkan was very specific to being the tabernacle. So they there's very specific things that you have to use to make this tabernacle specific colors, specific materials, uh, dimensions, all of those things. I'll show uh, a little bit of the Parsha here before we get to our actual, our actual verses. The first line of this Parsha is particularly interesting because it sets up what it means to, uh, to give or to um, hand over truma, which is a particular type of of offering. And it says here, So say to the people Israel, and they shall take for me truma. Uh, this week's bar mitzvah is actually writing, uh, giving his sermon on this particular line. What does it mean to take for me? Uh, are the people being forced to give truma? Are they giving of their own heart? Because as it follows and says, Et trumati, excuse me. So every person that has kind of that connection of heart uh, to be so moved will then take up this truma uh, and and give it to God. And then after this line, you you see here the different colors: blue, purple, crimson yarns, fine linens, goat's hair. Um, we get the ever so famous dolphin skins. How do you have dolphin in the middle of the desert? You might ask. Great question. Who knows? Um, Rashi is about to join us, but I'm going to keep going. Uh, and then you get that very, that very famous line. So it gives you kind of the immediate uh, things to have in this mikdash, and then it says that you should build me this mishkan, and I will dwell within it. Um, Rabbi Shapiro, would you like to continue on? We just started going over the uh, the parsha, but usually this is your job. I bet you're doing great. I am doing great. <laughs> but 
<laughs> but you can take over if you'd like. <laughs> Just getting sick. Man, you're putting me on the spot right away. Shots. Jeez. I mean, it's Torah. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. I was wondering what we do in this class. I appreciate that. Hi, everybody. You were. I came in. You were in the middle of a sentence. I don't. I. I was. What, just, I was just pointing out Vasuli Mikdash. Yep. And now we're we're past Vasuli Mikdash, and we're about to get to our verses. So, do you want to take it from here till we sure. get to our verses? Okay. Did, you, did you sing? I did sing. Sorry. Of course, you, you did. Yeah. Um, you're, you're getting predictable, Rabbi. Um, so after we get um, uh, that lovely idea, um, then then we get into the details. Uh, I, I'd imagine Rabbi Schatz might have mentioned this already. Not the most narratively interesting Parsha. Um, we get a lot of details about uh, basically the blueprints. Now that we have this sort of governing principle, um, for what it is. Now we're going to hear all about how to do it. Um, we are building an arc. You get the measurements for the arc. Um, Rabbi Shatz, you can scroll down a little bit. Um, I will say there is, nope, scroll back up for a second. Uh, you're get you're covering it with gold. There is an interesting idea that gets picked up a couple of different places in verse 11, this idea of that it's covered with gold, both inside and out. Um, which is a lovely idea that that a holy space, um, it's not just how it looks on the outside, but there's something internal um, going on there as well, which which gets extrapolated out to what it is to be a, a student and a learner of Torah, which is really nice, that there should be integrity there. Um, and then from there, you know, continued details, rings, around, rings on the ark um, so that poles can be affixed to carry it. Um, you can scroll down a little bit there and, and just like a lot, a lot of details for what that is. Then we get told in verse 16 in, in Hebrew, it's they're they're referred to in an interesting way. Um, ha'edut, which, you know, it, it's not luchot, which is usually how we think about tablets. Um, but, uh, this idea that, that they are, like testimony, like aid, right? Aidut, aid is a witness, aidut is testimony, so that the tablets get get put in that ark. Um, and we're getting close to our verses. So the cover, uh, the kaporet is made of gold. And then we are approaching our verses here, verse 18. Um, you skipped over verse 18. There we go. Uh, you, you make these kruvim, which in English we say a cherub, uh, which is not not what that is. These kruvim, you make them out of gold, and you put them on the two ends of that uh, of that cover. Uh, one at one end, one at the other, um, and it's it's all one piece, right? Of one piece with the cover, you should make the kruvim. You don't you don't affix them on top. You don't make them out of something separate. It's all one piece: the cover and and the kruvim together. That's the lead into our verses. Now here are the actual verses. So we're going to be looking at Shemot chapter 25, verses uh, 20, 21, 22. Okay. Here we go. Rabbi Shad, usually we text about these verses. What did, what did you end up thinking about these? What did, what, did, what did you end up thinking? Like them? Not like them? No, I do like them. I, I got I got stuck on pieces that 
that aren't like the big dull pieces. Like I got stuck on details, which are which is sometimes distracting. But I did I do like them. Um, I'm interested. I have to- lots to say about the big picture, so this will go. Oh, okay, fine, great. This will okay. go. You're so detail oriented, Rabbi Schatz. One of your best traits. Okay. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So um, actually here, Rabbi Schatz, will you make me co-host? I have, I have visual aids because I know Rabbi Schatz is a visual learner. So I was very considerate. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to make sure that I can... I can have some visual aids going here uh, to help out to help out Rabbi Schatz and, and anyone else who who's a visual learner. Um, so here, I'll share I'll share the verses and then I'll be able to sort of um, pull pull that visual component as well. Okay, ah, oh, much better when I can control the way I'm looking at the verses. I like that much better. Okay, so these kruvim they're on the ark. And their wings are, are like spreading upwards. So, and then like covering the cover with their wings. So these Kruvim, we can understand they are, whatever they are, they're creatures with wings and they have wings spread over the ark. So their wings are spread out and they're, they're facing each other. Okay. Um, and, and there's obviously a lot to play with here in terms of uh, what what a face is facing each other, how, com- how we can understand that as a visual component of a spiritual experience. Uh, they're looking at each other, the faces of them, but they're, but they're also turned towards the cover. So the rabbis are going to pick up on this idea. They're both how like somehow facing each other, but also looking downward. So there's, there's a lot of interesting conversation about, well, what are they actually facing? So we can, we can get into that. Rabbi Schatz, are you going to talk about that at all? Uh, uh, yeah, a little. Yeah. Sounds I like kind a, of just like brought, a ringing endorsement on that one from Rabbi Schatz. I Schatz's kind of version. brought a bunch of stuff and I'm interested to see what you pick up on. And I have much more stuff than, than normal. So. Oh, We'll see what I... Must be a lot of stuff. All right. Uh, you place the cover on top of the ark. This is sort of like a, a bit of a procedural verse. You place the cover on top of the ark after you have put inside the ark um, that that edut, that pact, those tablets that were given. sham. I will... The, the translation here, not, not my favorite, right? Because it says, there I will meet with you, but but like Ladat, I will make myself known to you there. So this is, this is God speaking to Moses, right? I'm going to make myself known to you there. Vidabarti itcha. And I'll, I'll, I'll speak with you there. I will impart to you. Not a fan of the translation of this verse at all. I will make myself known to you there and I will speak with you. Me'al ha-kaporet mi'bein shnei ha-kruvim. I love this phrase that God makes God's self known to and speaks to Moses like from above the cover, like from between the two kruvim. Asher al Harun that are upon the the ark with the um, with the tablets inside. At Kol Asher el Israel, everything that I'm going to command you to share with the Israel will happen like as 
filtered through that physical place um, that you have created for yourself, these, these Kruvim on top of the art. I'm going to hop out of the screen share. Renee, I see that you have your hand up. Rabbi Shetz, do you think it's helpful if before we get into the Kushiot, I share like a visual representation or two of this? Or or does that kind of spoil the fun of what we're doing? I'm here? seeing people nod. I was going to say no, but they're saying yes. So give the people what they want. I, I am, if if I'm known for nothing else, it's giving the people what they want. Okay, so here's one, um, here's one example. Now, all of all of these are like our best understanding of what it is, right? So I'm going to show, I'm going to show more than one. Also all interpretations. Co- correct. All of these are interpretations, visual interpretations of presumably normative rabbinic understandings of the verses in the Torah. So this is like a midrash on a midrash on a midrash, but, but it's abstract, right? So, so here's one potential idea. You can see the wings like touching, but not touching the Kruvim, like, facing each other but also looking down uh this is not particularly interestingly the wings are not out like it says in our verses one of the things that i was very stuck on well cover covering the cup they're facing each other and the wings are are covering right so this is this is how i think about it right oh rabbi shantz doesn't like that very much either okay very good (laughs) um and here's here's another one um also similar more looking at at each other um, then, then down, right? So, so, and also like oriented differently. You can, you can Google, Google at your leisure. Um, you know, if you look for Kruvim or Cherubim arc, you can see a number of different examples of this. Some look different, right? Some look different than either of these two examples. This is not a particularly podcast friendly part of the program. Um, podcast people, you have Google as well. You can look it up. Um, but again, this idea that on top of the ark, there are these two winged creatures with human faces, as we understand it, facing each other with wings sort of like extending back and towards each other. And I'll pick up just on one more detail before I turn it over to Rabbi Schatz for Kushiot, like the wings almost touching, but not touching, right? That they're very, very close to each other, but not quite touching. And it's, it's through like that one specific point that God, through which God makes God's self known to Moses and speaks to Moses, which I think is a very interesting construct as you hear by the fact that I keep talking about it. Okay. Rabbi Schatz. Rabbi Shapiro. Your jury. Um, what? Your jury. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, you have you have uh, some good one-liners today. Just keep a I'm coming. The reason I'm late, I don't know if you told folks. I'll say that it, it was a bait dean. It was a lovely bait dean. The candidate was so great like it's just it is really one of the great privileges of being a rabbi to like get to share those moments generally with people and particularly when they're rich and personal and emotional and beautiful so indeed that is that is where my head is at that's that's what i'm sharing the learning in the spirit of this morning so feeling feeling the good vibes tour is great hooray judaism okay my turn <laughs> okay um so any kushiot on these verses um renee was your hand a kushia from before okay go ahead two one why 
all of the paragraphs or many of those paragraphs talk about like the material that they use to make the, the, the Roan stuff. Uh Why, why that specific material that they use number one. And then there was a word in verse 21, uh, Kaporet. I want, I was curious if it has to do with Kaparas for Yom Kippur. Uh, Yeah, because it means over. So when you're talking about kaparot for Yom Kippur, you're talking about swinging the chicken over your head. It's also in that particular case connected to Kippur, which is which is atonement. So it's kind of like a play on words in a way in which you're talking about covering, but you're also talking about um, uh, atonement. Okay, Alan and then Denise. How and they Denise. decide on the stuff they use? Like, why is silver? Why true? You know, all the yeah, materials I don't know. that I they mean, listed. We don't know, <laughs> um, which is why I didn't answer the question. We we what? don't know why. We, you don't know? I, no, last time I checked, I was not God. Um, but we, we don't know why. <laughs> we don't know why those colors. We don't know why those materials. We do assume well, they're, that- they're, they're valuable things, right? Gold, silver, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like you, it's not that you have no idea, right? Well, we don't know why the certain colors. We do know that certain materials were um, just abundant where they were. Um, and also based on the fact that we know that they were giving of their own jewelry and things the gold parts do make sense like i think rabbi shapiro was just mentioning um but like things like dolphin skins as i mentioned when i was going through it before like we have no clue we don't know why that was a important or b what that means and how it got there um but but we assume that they were using that which they had and that which was around them to create this space, making it holy and making it special, but from mundane items. Um, but that's just Rebecca Schatz. That's not. That's just what I assume. That's not you know Torah Misenai. Alan and then uh, Denise, Joanna, Elon. Right. Um, I was struck just by one word. Uh, they said in verse 21, where it says, Asher ten elecha, to mm. you. Mm-hmm. Why not lecha, to you? Why is it elecha? It's kind of like maybe with you as part of the process. And I think it may tie in with that notion of the, uh, in verse 20, when they're talking about with the wings spread out above and the canopy. It's almost like it's a reenactment or a, or a mini reimagined of what happened at Sinai. Mm. And, you know, and then even the canopy can be, I'm sure the Midrash, the Midrash may go into this would be my guess. This would be like the chuppah and how the, you know, you get married and how that takes place. And this yeah. is a, a, a representation of what, uh, of what's going on there. But, yeah. We get many moments at the Midrash and also just commentaries end up going into a lot of chuppah analogies and sukkah analogies because based on the number of um, hand breath, the, the, uh, the um, dimensions, that was the word I was looking for, of a sukkah are the same as the dimensions for where the, the kruvim are at the top. So we start to talk about schach and how you build a sukkah and then also the idea of a chuppah and how a bride and groom look at one another under the chuppah like you do, like the kruvim do on the top of um, the mishkan. Um, the elecha piece is very interesting. I hadn't picked up on that. 
Um, so I will I will leave it as a kushia, and maybe maybe some of the the commentaries that Rabbi Shapiro and I are bringing will speak to it. But I hadn't noticed it, so I can't I can't say for sure. Um, Lecha usually means like for you, and Elecha is like towards you almost. So maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. It's a really, really interesting point that I had not, I had not picked up on. Uh, Denise. So, okay. So my question kind of um, it brings it. It's like a whole bunch of different thoughts sort of converged into one. Yeah. So when we were talking about the Kruvim and doing the visuals. I was like, wait, but these visuals are not what the verses describe because they don't have their wings stretched out. And like, I pictured almost like when you see pictures of an owl or something where they have this huge wingspan and you see all the beautiful feathers. And these, these gold images are not that. Then I thought, oh my gosh, but that's very similar to Egyptian iconography. Um, where there's a bird and these gigantic outstretched wings yeah. and also Assyrians. Assyrians have all kinds of creatures with wings. Mm. Um, and so I wondered, okay, this is like a totally separate thing, but I've heard before and I was very comforted to hear that um, the whole idea of sacrifices in Judaism was like a transitional phase and mm. that it was designed because people had this craving for idol worship and it was like okay here do it but like in a kosher way and whatever i i liked that because i'm really not excited about slaughtering and shul <laughs> um, so so i just wondered if if anybody has written or researched about that are there connections to assyrian or egyptian gods and would that have been a way of kind of calming that urge that people might have had. That's fascinating. Um, I have not looked into it. This would be the kind of thing that Robert Shapiro would look into, so maybe he has. But, um, but I, I don't know. I just feel like this is like one of these Assyrian you iconography. You, you think like Matt Shapiro? You think Assyrian iconography? <laughs> you like read an article about this. Like that is not something that I would ever think to look into. Um, but but it does make sense, right? Because they they are. This is why I I would have said no to showing the the item before we we do the kushio because I do think what you're pointing out is interesting. That when we look at the words, it doesn't necessarily translate to what the what the image looks like. But the imagery that you're pointing out, you know, historically, it it's possible that because they were surrounded by that kind of um, visual before they created their own. They were just creating based off of what they knew. Um, so, you know, a kid growing up in Los Angeles, when asked to to um, draw the four seasons, never draws snow because <laughs> they don't know snow. So, right, like that, so it's possible that that's... They don't even know what seasons are. Um, but that's that might be part of what you're picking up on. I'm just, it's just a hypothesis, but... It's possible. Yeah. very possible. Um, Joanna, and then Elon, and then Rebecca, and then Jay. Um, it sort of caught my eye in the little show and tell that we just had that the word Kruvim happens to be masculine, I believe. But the images of the Kruvim that you showed, Rabbi Shapiro, seemed at least to me to be very sort of feminine images. They looked, the, their bodies and their faces looked feminine to me 
And that got me also thinking about um, a phrase that appears in our liturgy in El Malei Rachamim and elsewhere, where we say, Tachat Kanfei Hashchina. Yeah. Right. Somehow the the feminine essence of God appears under the wings and apparently God's presence appears under these wings in some way, shape or form. Beautiful. Beautiful. That was a piece that I also got got very stuck on was the Kanfeha Shrina or the idea of um of of sukachlo mecha right like having having some kind of like canopy that that Im, that brings into it something something else like shalom um yeah beautiful i i i think that when when the rabbis talk about the kruvim they say that they look like children that doesn't exactly speak to them looking like females but um that they had faces like children and so it's possible that the imagery of these Kruvim were a little bit more either effeminate or, or somehow softer than we would have, what we would expect. Um, yeah, I, I don't, yes, I, I love that idea. And I know, I have no idea. I feel like that's my go-to today. I don't know. Sure. It sounds great. Uh, Elon. Um, so is there any commentary as to, why the specificity of instructions, not only as it applies to the Cherubim, but just in general, it's got to be X cubits, it's got to be this, that, and the other thing. Why does God not just say, make it nice, you guys are creative, use your creativity? Is there, is there a I would love that Parsha so much. <laughs> make it nice. You know, like like we do today, we don't we don't you know we have obviously hire an architect, but we don't follow a a plan that's divinely inspired, right? So I'm curious as to somebody must have said, well, the, either the people were dopes or there's some other reason that um, that God had to be this specific. Yeah, I I wonder if they if it had to be this specific because it was something that they expected to happen over and over and over again, right? That it wasn't just something that was going to happen once, but was something that was going to be a Mishkan. Rashfir doesn't like that answer, but I'm going to go with it. Um, that it was a Mishkan that similar to the fact that we had multiple temples and that people still think that we should have a third temple, that maybe in building... A mishkan that that it was supposed to actually look the same way every time, which we know, you know, even if we even if we think of our own sanctuaries as a mishkan or a mikdash, whichever word you want to use, um, we know that they don't look the same. So I do wonder if that that is where part of the detail for me when I think about when I use detail like this in my life, it's so that I can do it again the same way. So I wonder if that's what. That's what they were thinking in the Torah. Rabbi Shapiro, speak your mind. What do your What are these faces? I've been interrupting so much. I wasn't going to interrupt. I was withholding face, myself from your face. Interrupts enough. What What would you, What would you like to say? <laughs> Have that on my business card. Um, I I would say opposite. I mean, I I think in the context, I don't think there was a sense that this would be a blueprint. To be repeated, I think this was sort of like a a, a one time only thing. I, I would also say thematically, um, 
Dafka, if it's a one-time thing, you want to be really specific to make sure to get it right. Like, I, I totally hear what you're saying in terms of if it's something that you want to make sure you can do over and over again, like as a blueprint that you want to be like replicating that, that you have concrete instructions that you can go back to. I, I, my sense is that the Mishkan is, is something that is, is very, very special. There's only one of them. See also Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and I, I would say that if you know you're going to make something very, very special, like think about like a really nice engagement ring, right? You're going to give very, very, um, specific instructions to the jeweler for exactly what you want it to look like. A, because you have a clear vision for it. B, because you want it to, to be very special. So that it's just, um, a, a one of a kind thing. So I went, you know, but my, I, my brain was going in exactly the opposite direction. I guess the, 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 but the way that Elon asked the question, I guess, is what made me think that, that then why wouldn't you just say, make it, we made it really nice right? We made it something special. It had these five things that made it really special, but you don't necessarily need to know what the rest of it looked like because it was special and unique to its own, to its own appearance. Like for me, the idea of the Torah is that then you take what's in the Torah and you, you either pass it on or you use it another time. And so if there's such detailed elements to this Mishkan, um, to, to me, that, that seems to imply that if there was going to be another one, that you would do it this way. Okay. He has another thing to say, so I'm obviously right. Rebecca, your turn. Nope. <laughs> so I, the thing I originally wanted to say, I will say, but um, I wanted to respond to that question of Elon as well. And I don't know if this is... Um, this is not, this is just my, based on what I was thinking, not on any research, but I'm wondering if the specificity is somewhat similar to other things that are kind of specific in their way of making this Mishkan look different from whatever's happening around them. So I don't have, I don't have any information about what other temples looked like at that yeah. time. But I'm wondering if some of this instructions were specifically to make the Jews look different. Yeah, yeah. So that might be something there. Yeah. Um, the thing that sort of came, um, sort of affected me in reading this, besides sort of the details and the sort of strangeness of, of the, the, the cherubs and all that, was actually the, um, the play with the words edut, which shows up twice, and then the word noadity. And it confuses me a little bit because I feel like they are coming from the same root, but clearly noadity, when I think of how I understand it, it is where I will, at certain times, at Moadim or so, meet with you. But then in the adult, it's sort of the witness to the, the, the evidence to the fact but I am wondering, and so I guess that's my question. My question is: Is there a link between the use of these two words coming from the same root, but sort of meaning two different? You know, what do they mean here? Yeah. Basically. Can I? Can I? Can I retract? So I'll retract my bad Hebrew to amplify Rebecca's question. I was reading Nodati as Ladaat, but I I went 
So mm. I, I, I reverse them for a second. Rebecca, I think your question is spot on in terms of like the, the point still still remains. Like I would still say, I don't like that translation in verse 22 of there, I will meet with you. But to your point, exactly this idea of, of witnessing and the pacts of the witnessing, right? Like that what happened at Sinai was that experience of, of, yeah, Rabbi Schatz is highlighting it very nicely with her cursor. Thank you. Uh, and now, mm, nope. Um, there you go. Um, no definitions found. Very good. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're spot on. There you go. I'll read it out. Uh, Yud Ayin Dalid, to fix, appoint, assemble, meet, mm, uh, set, betroth, which is very interesting. Um, to meet, to meet by appointment, uh, to gather, to assemble, um, it's like a moed, right? Like a, a holiday, uh, like if you, a, a moed, which we now like use a fixed the word time, full right. a moed, which is, which is confusing, but moed was a, was a meeting for that holiday, right? It, it was a, it was a time to meet. <laughs> um, yeah. Some of what, what you picked up on Rebecca is part of what, interested me about where God is in this verse also, like above, inside, if it's the Aron Ha'edut, like why wouldn't God be with that as opposed to above it? Aren't those God's words? So why wouldn't God just be? So I, I think it'll come up again, but but it's a beautiful way of, of connecting them. Um, and again, every word is, is chosen for a reason in the Torah. So the fact that they use those two words as opposed to like, I don't know, the root that comes from pagash, like to meet up, right? That that would have been a whole different potential meeting. Okay, Jay, and then Joanna, if it's quick, we'll go to you. Uh, if not, just try, type it in the chat and then we'll go to the, the sources. Okay, um, what I was going to say, a few people took a little of the idea, but I'll, I'll share... Um, in verse 21, the first thing that comes to my head when I hear the faces of the cherubim being turned toward the, you know, toward the cover and toward each other is the idea that we're trying to build a community here. For all this time, we've been a slaves and we're now building a community. And I think that's why God decided everything needed to be in a certain listed way. Because when we're building a community, you need to have certain things in there to have the community work. I think of it a lot. I say this to my B'nai Mitzvah students. I'm a B'nai Mitzvah. I, I, teach, um, I teach Hebrew third through seventh grade a little bit. And I always tell the B'nai Mitzvah students, it's a process. And you have to follow the process in order to get there. And it's the same thing with the building of the Mishkan. We had to build. We had to get all the, all the fun stuff for it. I always crack up when I think, okay, they asked for dolphin skins and we were in the desert. Right. But um but this whole idea of us I think the whole idea is just that we're building a community here. And it's it's a way of working it so that we can all be together and building this community. And that's what we all are doing right now in a lot of ways. Yeah. We're building a community via Zoom. And um looks like I anticipated what Rabbi Shapiro was going to say. Well, then, there you go. Great segue. Rabbi Shapiro, take it over. And jo- I thought Joanna had something. Uh, she put in the chat. I'll respond to that. You you continue. All right. I mean, I'll, I'll just read out what I typed. Uh, in response to Ilan, I mean, Ilan, it's, it's a great question in terms of the specificity of the instructions. 
Um, just this idea that in terms of going back into the narrative context a little bit, this idea that B'nai Israel are still like, they're still fresh out of slavery. Right. And so I think they are used to um, concrete specific instructions in terms of what to do and going back a little bit to what Denise was saying in terms of sacrifices themselves being like something along the way that we are no longer there and we're now here in a, in a different time. And yes, Elon, I know that's an argument for why you shouldn't do Musaf. Um, although Elon, I will say that over Zoom, it seems like you stick around through our very, very quick Musaf. So, so you'll no, no, only only when you go directly from the prayer for a country to Alenu. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm good with Alenu. That's fine. Uh, but I'm not particularly like I said. If if we bring back. If we actually bring back the slaughtering of goats, I'm in. I'll stay, but I'm not. Gonna, <laughs> but, but I'm not going to pray for it and then not have it happen. That's you know. All right, Rabbi Klegfeld, since I know you're listening, uh, <laughs> bring that to the ritual committee. Um, yeah, this this idea that it it's also about, from my perspective, God trying to meet the people where they're at in terms of relationship. Right, they're used to really specific directions okay you're used to specific instructions here are some specific instructions to be of service to me rather than to be of service to pharaoh so that that's something that came to mind for me um as um as the conversation has unfolded i'll sort of flip that around into a different piece i'm gonna go big picture with it for a second i know rabbi shot said she didn't have much in the way of big picture so i'll go like very, very big picture in terms of why, why I, I like these verses. Um, <laughs> I will say, I, I think, if memory serves me correctly, it was a very long time ago when I did my interview uh, round robin at JTS in the winter of 2012. Um, this was the, this was the, um, the Parsha and everyone, and like, I talked about these verses from what I remember in terms of like a model for Jewish community, a little bit like what Jay is talking about. And my like lead in was, I bet everyone has already talked to you about Ve'asuli Mikdash Ve'shechanti Betocham, but I'm going to talk about something different. And then I talked about that. Rabbi Shapiro. Rabbi Schatz, yes. My interview at JTS for JTS, for rabbinical school, was Parsha Truma. I don't know what that means. I think that just means that Jews are looking to hire or accept students. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but if someone has a, a deeper ontological significance to that, please put it in the chat. I'm sure you'll figure it out. <laughs> um, but I, I, lo- I love the idea of God entering into the world through face-to-face encounter. Right? I, I just, I really, oh, it was the same year, Rabbi Shah. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so we were in the same building at the same time? Yes! <laughs> oh. Well, why didn't you say hello? Okay, continue, continue. For those listening at home, Rabbi Schatz is officially losing it. You just can't see it, but it's it's very funny. Um, I love the idea of that that's where God enters the world, and that's how God enters the world. Um, you, if if you know sort of Martin Buber's idea, right? I and thou, um, I'll, I'll like 
the, the way I-thou is usually described is that I-thou is a type of relationship, right? You don't want to be an I-it relationship. You want to be an I-thou relationship, not this idea that you're, you're relating with people as objects, but you're relating with people as having holiness within them. That's kind of what Buber is saying, but if you read it a little more carefully, Buber is actually talking about um, I-it and I-thou as stances through which you like experience the world. And you, each one of us, has a choice about whether we are going to be in the world in an I-it way or an I-thou way. In an I-it way, I'm not really open to experiencing God in the world or in relationship. In an I-thou way, I, I am open to that. And I am seeking that out. And I am trying to connect in that way. So, so for me, that's like the, like I said, the very, very big picture way um, that I think about like particularly that idea of the Kruvim facing each other and that it's, it's like through that little, but, but incredibly large space that God enters into the world, like above. And, and Rabbi Schatz was talking about this a little bit too. It is a little disorienting. Like where is God? <laughs> what's, what's happening above in through around uh, walking around the corner? Like what, what's actually going on there? But, but I really love this idea that, that through that space, through that turning towards and through that encounter um, in like a protected way with the wings, but that there's still that openness. Um, the, the imagery and the symbolism is just, just really beautiful for me. And I, and I really love that as a model, Jay, to your point of building community and thinking about how we um, station ourselves in relationship with each other and like it has been said over and over again over the past 11 plus months, thinking about faces and coverings, but also seeing each other's faces so much more clearly and closely over Zoom than we usually would, even though we can't see each other in person and we're covering our faces, but there's something revealed through that um, to pick up a, on a mini drosh of Rabbi Schatz's, which hopefully I didn't steal that she was going to use elsewhere over Shabbat. Um, and thinking about Purim as well. Um, that is 90% of a thought, but I will turn it over to Rabbi Schatz for more detailed and specific ideas. No, I was just, I was, all I will say to that is I also picked up on, um, on them facing one another and what the wings were doing. Um, and again, as I said at the beginning, I, I was very detail oriented in kind of what, what was interesting to me about these three verses. Um, and particularly, though I've heard many different drashot along the same lines of what Jay uh, expressed in his kushia around this is so that we look at one another and we come into community and all of those kinds of things. One of the things I had never thought about was the fact that the rabbis also believed that there were two kruvim because if there were, had only been one, it could have been seen as idol worship. That if there had been like, for example, one gargoyle on top of a building, right, all of a sudden you think of that as some particular either deity or or um, uh, specific, um, I don't know, animal to be to be brought up in a more holy fashion. It's clearly not part of my religion, so I don't really understand even the terminology around it, but if there is one of something, it could be that you then look at it as some some element that you should be praying to or imagine that it is overlooking you, just that one. Whereas if there's two, there is something about the 
that both the communal aspect of it, but just like a mirror when you see your yourself in a mirror or on Zoom, I guess, um, that there are two of you, right? You're, it's not just it's not just you anymore. It's you and the image of you. Um, and so being able to imagine those two things, looking at one another, I really enjoyed. Uh, and I never thought about it before. And Chizkuni says it really beautifully. Um, uh, he says, they are to face one another. These details all prove that these uh, cherubs were not intended to be deities to be worshipped, else they would have faced their onlookers so that these could prostrate themselves in front of them. How is this proof? Supposing there had only been one cherub on the lid of the holy ark, or if the face of one of them had been turned toward the people, one could have perhaps understood the symbolism as meaning that their purpose was to inspire awe of them in their onlookers. So anyway, I thought that was that was fascinating. And then the wings piece, um, I, I never really focused on the fact that they had a specific direction that they were in, that they were kind of brought upwards, um, which is why when Robert Shapiro showed the first image, I was like, but they're not up. Um, but, but they, they were. They are up. They swoop, yeah. they swoop and cover. They swoop and cover. Swoop and cover. Um, Great. But but what our uh, what our commentators point out is that having the them above their heads was actually a sense of modesty and humility. Um that which I wouldn't necessarily think of. Like usually humble I think of as a little bit more kind of encased as opposed to bigger and, and above. But that they were if the head was above their wings, that somehow that would show some kind of royalty or or really like hot headedness, right? Like the, the idea that they were bigger and better than, but to have their wings above it almost actually does kind of bring them in a little bit closer. So anyway, I just wanted to point those two things out that I found fascinating uh, in how we visualize these two people. Did you want to bring another big thought? And I'll bring another little thought. There are no little parts only little rabbis i don't, I don't know um i mean we can pa- I, I don't see any hands i'm curious what folks are thinking I, I, i'll sh- oh yeah nancy and renee yeah okay good nancy just a thought just i i find it really interesting that the Im- imagery that you showed and some of this idea of what they might the kruvim might have looked like it's all very um benign maybe or loving even maybe or softer whereas their job is to guard this Mm -hmm. um i just think that's an interesting juxtaposition about what people are thinking they look like versus you know what when when you would say to me well the job is to guard i would think of something a little scarier or stronger yeah it is interesting that something that that even in the depictions of it and and the art that rao shabir showed right there they're not particularly soft, and yet that seems to be how we're supposed to imagine them, even as you just said, they have much bigger, much kind of stronger roles than that. Um, yeah, very interesting. You call on someone else, Robert Shapiro, but I don't remember who. Joanna's hand is up. Oh, Joanna. As we started talking about the Kruvim as guards, my mind all of a sudden jumped to Breshit. What are the relationship, if any, between these Kruvim and the Kruvim that were put just outside the Garden of Eden once Adam and Chava were kicked out? 
That's that's a great question. Looks like Rabbi Schatz is frantically Googling, so I'll let her do. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, I'm looking at your faces. In fact, uh, no, 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 it's a it's it's a great question. I'll 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 say don't know. I'll I'll pick on up on Rabbi Schatz's theme of the day. I I, I think it's a great connection. I'll add in a, a different um, linguistic piece, which is if you look at the the verb in verse twenty of Sochachim um, that they're they're covering with their wings. It's an unusual verb in the Torah. It doesn't show up all that often. I'm going to bring this back to the Gan Eden piece in a second. Um, it doesn't show up all that often. It's usually used in the context of the Mishkan and only and only that. The only other place it shows up as a verb is is that it describes what God does to Moshe when God passes by Moshe on the mountain. That God is socheach Moshe with um, to to prevent Moses from danger. So I'll like also connect that to Gan Eden as well. Like right? this idea of like the Kruvim and that verb indicates like something protective of like a space that is holy, but also fraught, right? We know about this. And Nancy, this goes actually to your point a little bit in terms of like the physical appearance of these creatures, right? That, that they look soft, but, but there is something fraught and dangerous about this thing. Uh, I'll quote Raiders of the Lost Ark again. Um, right. That that it's it's not something you're supposed to get too close to. And there is this sense of you want to have that relationship. I mean, I, w- I was painting this nice Buberian picture of what holiness and relationship and community can be. We also know of the potentially um, d- dangerous like physically dangerous, like the, the story in the time of King David when they're bringing the ark back. And there, there's that, right? Somebody dies because they get like they because they get too close to it, right? And we can think about Nadav and Aviyu in a different context, et cetera. So it it is interesting to think about close but not too close. And again, I'll sort of offer that phrase like touching but not touching. And Joanna, to your question, like yeah, Gan Eden was this amazing place that we were kicked out from right? That, that we can't be. And, and so again, the idea of the Kruvim, like sort of being stationed in, in between that is, is definitely an, an interesting one to think about a little more, right? I see Renee, Renee has her digital hand up and Alan has his just, physical hand up. I just but, want to very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to Google it, but then I did because Raj Bear said that I was, so I did. Um, I and there, there is a connection. So I just, I just put the, um, the link that I found in the chat, and you can all read it. There's no sense in me explaining it all to you, but you can read it on your own. Okay. What about our list? What about our listeners at home? Your the listeners at home can email me, and I can tell you how to find it. You can also just Google <laughs> Torah Angels in the Garden of Eden, which is what I did. Um, okay, Renee. You guys really need to take it on the road. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I was thinking about the, the discussion that we had yesterday with the masks, how there's like two ways to look at somebody, the inside versus the outside. So we see the true beam and, you know, there are different ways to see them, right? Yeah. Aspects to them, much like yeah. what we were talking about yesterday. I'll, I'll, can I bring that back again? I mean, it's, it's not the verse that we were talking about, but I really love the teaching, the idea of the arc being, um, you know, covered in gold inside and out. 
just it's it's such a beautiful image, right? This idea that and and the rabbis pick this up. They say a true Torah scholar is one who their insides match their outsides, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? That that you should that you should be an integrated person, right? In like the language of twenty twenty one, right? But that 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 there should be no gap between the you who you present to the world and the you who you are like around your house and and in your in your inner experience of the world. I'll, I'll like sort of make a bit of a leap from there to the idea that this cover was all actually meant to be one piece of gold, not like separate pieces, right? The Kruvim and the cover, it's all one piece of gold that we saw right before we scrolled down. And so I wonder about that theme here too, right? That there actually shouldn't be, even though they're touching but not touching, it's actually all all one piece. Um, and I think that, that that's an interesting potentially thematically connected idea as well. Alan. Going to go back to, to the words. You're talking about this, the Kruvim as being, you know, protective in that safe space. And then you talked about the unusual word, the Sochachim, which is, of course, has to be related to Sukkah and Sukkot. And that word might have been the entryway for the rabbis to treat everything that's going on with the Kruvim as something that's not only linked to what may be going on at Sinai in terms of the, the chuppah and the receiving the commandments and looking upwards and God presenting himself there, but also for the protection of Sukkot. And, and again, being connected with God by dwelling in his presence and, you know, ties in with your favorite pasuk about uh, uh, make me the Mishkan B'Tocham. And uh, so it all that it, it all comes in together with that one that one word kind of incorporates all of these various midrashim for me. Yeah. Beautiful, yeah. really nice. Um, I didn't focus much on the twenty on verse uh, twenty one, uh, though I really loved Alan's piece about Alecha, so I would like to go back to that. But I focused a lot on the last verse for the reasons that I was talking about with Rebecca when she brought up her yeah, which. I just like where why was God up? Why wasn't God in like why is that even important for us to know? Why can't God be in the same place that Moses is? We know that Moses has been in the same place with God before. Like what what's the point there? And the rabbis do say, well actually there were times that God was inside when Moses was also inside. It's just that God sometimes came from above. So, I want to share two pieces with you, but I wanted to ask what Rabbi Shira made a face again. Yes. No, no, you're good. You, it's, it's 1158. So I'm very <laughs> impressed at the repeat. I know. That's what I was about to say to you. Do you have anything else that you want to share? And then I'll just share mine very quickly. I always have things that I want to share, Rabbi. Do you, would you like to share something? Go for it. Okay. Go for it. Do your thing. Okay. Um, so one of these is like, a little bit of Talmud comedy, um, but that I really appreciated. And then the other one is uh, is a little bit more uh, soft and even maybe philosophical. Um, so here's a piece from Sanhedrin. Again, answering this question of like, why couldn't God be in the same place that Moses was going to be inside the ark? So in Sanhedrin, it says, there was a certain man who was saying about his marriage as he walked as everyone does. They just like spew knowledge about marriage as they're walking down the street. When our love was strong, we could have slept on a bed that was the width of a sword. 
That's the comedy. Now that our love is not strong, a bed of 60 cubits is not sufficient for us, right? So the idea is that, like, when you are happily married and things are great, like, you desire to be close to your partner. When not, you, you know, a king's, a California king, you know, is not big enough. You need six different rooms. Rav Huna said, verses are written that convey these sentiments. Initially, it was written, I will meet with you there and I will speak with you from above the ark cover. Okay, so that's our, that's our verse. And it is taught in a Baraita, somewhere else in the Gemara. The ark of the covenant was itself nine hand breaths high. It's not super high. Again, this gets brought back when we talk about a sukkah. And the ark cover was one hand breadth thick. There was a total of total height of 10 hand breaths here. At first, when God had great affection for Israel, the divine presence was revealed within the confines of this limited space, right? So God was able to be within when that relationship with the people was strong. God then at times had to have a location to be when that distance was necessary. I thought that was a very interesting way of thinking about God just the way that we think about our own relationships. And then here's the last kind of more philosophical piece by the Clea Carr, who kind of speaks in his commentaries in that way. And then I'll let Rabbi Shapiro close. So the Clea Carr says uh, on this same verse that I will, I will set my meetings with you there or my time with you there. The divine light radiated outward from the ark affecting everything around it. So the sages say that it actually bore those who appeared to bear it. This is a hint that those who support Torah scholars actually supported, are, are actually supported by them. Rabbi Shapiro doesn't like this. I, I think that what the Kleokar is getting Just at- Just trying to understand it. That wasn't a disapproval face. That was a confused oh, face. Oh, okay. Um, I think what's so interesting about this commentary is that instead of answering the question, why was there distance, the Kleokar is answering the question by saying, it's not just that, it's not, it doesn't matter that there was distance, it matters that you were able to be reached by me wherever I was. So if this divine light is coming out from the ark, it doesn't matter if I'm above or inside or to the side or behind or in front of. As long as you're nearby, as long as you are accepting as for, for what is inside the um, the innermost sanctum, right, which is this adut, that if you are able to accept that and, and live by that, then it doesn't matter where God is, God will always be able to reach you. So I just, I love that he kind of rabbiified uh, his response to not be one that is straight to the question that he's asking, but rather don't worry about location. Worry about what you can do to feel the presence of God. Nice. Thanks. I especially like it for COVID, right? Because like if we're not all in the shul, do we feel connected to prayer? If we're not, if we're behind a screen, does it matter if we say this verse versus this verse? Like those aren't the questions to ask. The, the questions to ask are, do you feel connected to to the prayers that are being said and to the spirituality that's, that you're experiencing. Debarti, Rabbi Shapiro. Shamati, Rabbi Shatz. Um, have, you, have you given any intimation of next week? Is there any hint towards no, what? I'm not sure if it was a surprise or not. It's a surprise. So 
No, I haven't. <laughs> Great. Um, so I'll, 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 I'll give one thing and then half a thing and then, and then one thing. The one thing is, um, so you think that this isn't just Shapiro riffing on Boober because he likes the philosophy mumbo jumbo. Um, the Malby makes the comment, he, he riffed off the idea that just as there are two, um, there are two Kruvim and, and riffing on the idea of the, of the tablets being placed in the ark. I think he talks about how this is an idea that you'll see all over rabbinic literature that half of Aseret Hadibrot are about mitzvot ben adam makom, right? Between a person and God. And half of them are between, um, uh, Adam Lechav, like a person and his fellow. Um, and so he riffs on this idea of like the two and the tablets and the ark, et cetera. And he says that, um, that a person can't fulfill the mitzvot between a person and God, except for also when doing so between a person and their fellow. Um, so I think that that's a really nice idea, right? And, and connected with this idea of relationship and community that in the symbolism of the Kruvin facing each other, we see embedded within that the idea of the, the primacy in our tradition in being a just a person in the world that Yes, we have these commitments. We have these commandments for thinking about our relationship with God, but those those don't happen cut off or separate from the way that we relate to other people and the way that we behave and build relationship and build connection um, with the others in our lives. And so I think, you know, that that's tying together a few pieces that have been floating around. Um, and I'll, I'll just sort of offer that as like uh, a closing thought, particularly as we think about masks and faces and relationship and closeness. I'm just holding up once more this this idea of how important it is to to be building those relationships and to be interacting with others in holy and meaningful um, ways. Speaking of faces that may or may not be covered, folks, Purim is in one week. And if you think that Rabbi Schatz and I did not take notice of the... Karen is holding up a oh, something. Passover series. <laughs> Yes, but Purim's first. Purim's in one week. And if you thought that Rabbi Schatz and I would let the fact that we have a class on Purim without getting to do something special to mark that, you clearly don't know us very well, or at least you don't know me very well. Rabbi Schatz was like, why not? And I was like, no, 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 we need to do something. So I'm going to say nothing else except that next week we have class on Purim. And oh boy, Next week, we have class on Purim, so it's going to be fun. Looking forward to it, but until then, Shabbat Shalom. Until then, have no fun, is what Rabbi Shapiro No, until then. It's like an until then. Like, until next time, we'll see you soon. I hope you have lots of fun between now and then, especially on Thursday night. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.